So Devin, why do you think it's important that we're doing this podcast? I think a podcast like this is important because climate change seems to be becoming a hot topic. But many people, myself included, are often unsure what action can be taken or how to truly make a difference. I think for me, it's about making the global local, especially in Missoula. Having these hyper-localized conversations around what we can do to start making a tangible difference in our community when it comes to things like climate change. Hopefully, sharing some of the work we do at Climate Smart and talking with local experts about the work they're doing will get more people on board. Not only talking about some of this stuff, but acting on it. So I think, like you said, climate change can sometimes feel like this massive, intimidating issue. And that can make you feel like, you know, a tiny ant on a speck of dust in the grand scheme of things. And that anything you could do won't actually make a difference. So localizing these really big issues is like taking a bite-sized, more manageable and actionable approach to climate change. A lot of Climate Smart's work is about providing real options and avenues to people to directly get involved with climate mitigation and adaptation efforts and trying to really right the ship on a lot of this stuff. We need to attack it at different scales and from different angles. Okay, so just a little primer on climate change lingo. Efforts to address climate change fall into two main categories. Mitigation, which involves reducing carbon pollution that's changing our climate, and adaptation, which is basically addressing the impacts of climate change that we're already experiencing. Buildings are a huge piece of the climate solutions puzzle and a big chunk of Climate Smart's mitigation work. The building sector alone accounts for 52% of Missoula's carbon footprint, a percentage we're actively trying to bring to zero. One last thing to note, whenever we talk about clean electricity and clean energy, we're not exactly referring to the same thing. In this context, clean electricity refers to transmission lines delivering electricity powered by renewable sources. But clean energy is much broader. Not only does it encompass the grid, but it includes things like transportation as well. I'm fairly new to Climate Smart, and what's impressed me the most is the collaboration across city, county, and community lines on some of this work. Together, stakeholders have passed a sweeping climate resiliency plan and a joint resolution to get to 100% clean electricity by 2030. That's pretty big, and it's going to take all of us, not just government appointees and experts, but local community members willing to step up and become part of the solution. On this episode, we're talking to Missoula residents who are committed to making getting to zero a reality. Our guests today share ways that they've been working towards 100% clean electricity in their homes and in the building sector. I'm Kelly, Program Director at Climate Smart Missoula. And I'm Devin, a summer intern at Climate Smart, and this is Clear the Air, a five part series exploring how our community is stepping up to the plate to combat climate change. We spoke with Rick Craig, a contractor here in Missoula. Rick is the husband of Amy, our executive director at Climate Smart. We were interested in learning more about Rick's perspective on the role buildings can play to reach 100% clean energy, as well as the details of an accessory dwelling unit on their property. We asked Rick what he saw to be the most energy efficient things that an average household could do on a limited budget. First thing he said was, electrify everything. If it has fossil fuels supplied to the house, you're never going to get off fossil fuels. It's true that the electricity coming in is in part produced by burning fossil fuels, but at least there's potential to improve that. As we clean the grid, we, you're cleaning the house at the same time. Whereas 
this house will will never be off fossil fuels unless we we convert those systems um electrify everything um and if you're going to electrify everything that leads to this next step which is efficiency you know reduce your energy use as much as possible so efficient appliances and and more efficient appliances are becoming more affordable and uh, super insulate the house, which overlaps with uh, reducing energy use. So this idea of electrifying everything isn't new. Nationally, studies have shown that it's one of the most effective ways in terms of cost, flexibility, and health impacts to decarbonize the building sector quickly and to transition to a clean grid powered by renewable energy. Building electrification essentially means the conversion of systems that are typically powered by methane gas or coal to those powered by electricity. This means exchanging your gas furnace or boiler for really efficient electric systems like heat pumps. He also mentioned night flushing, which essentially means opening the windows at night to allow the cool air to naturally ventilate a space. Montana's large diurnal temperature swings from night to day make it an extremely effective passive cooling technique. It works very well in Missoula because our nighttime lows often 50 degrees and you can cool off a house very quickly and then close it up. And as a way to indirectly conserve energy, Rick suggested utilizing some of the home resource stores that emphasize reuse in the area. I'm, I'm a big home resource fan and a big reclaimed wood fan. Amy and I say we were home resource before home resource existed. <laughs> um, when we built this house, we really didn't have any money. We were just back from a couple of years in Africa and looking around at how much waste there is and how much reuse is possible. So, yeah, we were scrounging from demolition sites. We also spoke some about gas versus electric stoves. It seems like most people prefer gas stoves, but Rick shared some concern with us. The studies that are being done now really are not kind to gas stoves. Right. And, yeah, they're great to cook on. The heat is instant. People love their gas stoves and can't imagine cooking without them. But it's really not good for your health. So what we have out there for cooking is an induction range, which has a lot of the properties that people love about gas. The heat is instant um, and uh, doesn't have some of the, the other detriments of the early electric ranges and that the, the cooktop doesn't get hot. Right. So you or your kids are not going to burn themselves. And we've linked one of those studies on our blog. For those that are considering more serious upgrades to their home, Rick emphasized the importance of finding the right contractor. And you can tell any contractor those things, and a lot of them will say, oh, well, that's really going to cost you, and, and tend to discourage that. And I would say that's probably not your contractor, if, if that's the reaction you get from saying, I want to build a, a small, super-efficient, super-insulated house with no gas. And that if you do any work on your home, be sure to consider the long-term benefits. Uh, the long-term benefits are so underappreciated by the building industry. That it should be obvious to a bank that if you're going to lower your utility bills for 50 or 100 years, it's worth loaning you more money. One of the reasons that we wanted to talk to Rick was to pick his brain about their ADU, or accessory dwelling unit. These are smaller, independent residential units located on the same lot as another home. Think basement apartments or alley houses, things like that. Rick and Amy's ADU was built separate from their straw bale home, the one that they live in. Here's Rick on their decision-making process. 
we looked at a couple things. One was our aging parents. Um, two, kind of what's appropriate for this property um, in terms of the urban density and the infrastructure that's here. Um, just affordability of being able to develop something, I think, was the other thing I was going to add. You know, the cost of land right now is so high that... Um, building a house on a property that you buy is a really expensive proposition. The key benefits of ADUs are twofold. They help relieve the housing and density crisis in urban areas and reinforce the importance of building smaller. For all the talk on building electrification, at the end of the day, the best energy is the energy we don't use. As Missoula grows, building smaller, more energy-efficient dwellings will be critical to reducing the carbon footprint of Missoula's new building stock. From what I know, there's good evidence from around the country. People who, uh, Seattle, I think, has really pushed ADUs as a a way to get more housing out there affordably. And it's it's worked out well. The controversies that everybody was afraid of have really not materialized. They, they integrate well into existing neighborhoods and people actually like having them for the most part, so. Building ADUs can begin to create more urban infill without drastically changing the appearance of a neighborhood. They can provide an affordable place to live while creating some supplemental income for the homeowner. And while their last building project, that Straubale home that they're in now, seemed to cause some neighborhood strife, this one didn't seem to cause much at all. My mom spent six months in the ADU last year, and it's not the ideal situation for her, but... Um, you know, the fact that my mom was the first person to live there makes it easier for people to accept. It's, it's, you're not turning the neighborhood into a rental slum. You're caring, caring for your, yeah. And we're, we're very hesitant to do the Airbnb thing for neighborhood reasons, mostly. Here's Rick with a bit more on the energy system of the ADU. So it's a grid-tied solar system. The house is all electric with, uh, you know, as efficient appliances as, as we can reasonably get what, what's on the market that's not at the highest end of the market. You know, you can, you can buy some really expensive stuff. But, yeah, the solar panels on the house were targeted towards being net zero. So, and since it's all electric, that's supplying the full energy budget of the house. While the solar panels on the ADU aim to provide the full amount of electricity needed for the home, Rick and Amy still opted to be connected to the grid. Their solar array is a dependable source of renewable energy during the dry Missoula summer. They overproduce energy in the summer and utilize the credits they receive from the overproduction on those gloomy winter days. Here's Rick saying a bit more on why they opted to be connected to the grid. Uh, it's really tough in Montana to do a fully sustainable off-grid system without a generator backup that's going to use fossil fuels. So taking advantage of the grid as the storage and overproducing in the summer um, and, and having essentially unlimited storage capacity is, is really the only practical solution for, for a house that wants to be net zero and has access to the grid. If you'd like to hear more about the technical details of the ADU Rick built, you can find those on our blog. One last thing Rick shared was that if you're considering an ADU, go to the city first. The city staff and the city county health department staff, who I spent a lot of time with because getting a, a septic system approved was a, a big deal, they're, they're helpful and they want to make things happen. 
anybody who was is thinking about an ADU in the Missoula area, I would say, you know, go down to the city first. Mm. Say, this is where I live. They'll pull it up on the aerial view and they'll look at what the issues are. Um, there's probably going to be something specific to just about every lot that, uh, and they can head off some of those problems at the, at the start. In addition to Rick, we also spoke with Callie Fox. Callie's the co-director of the UM Flat, or Forum for Living with Appropriate Technology. Here's Callie describing the flat. We are a intentional living and learning resident, student residency for university students. So we'll have graduate students, undergrad, part-time or full-time, and it's not strictly limited to environmental studies. But the flat is sort of kind of a microcosm of what the world could look like. Also having uh, community events and being a community organizing space, not just for the university, but for the greater Missoula community as a whole. The flat has done a lot of things to make their home more sustainable. Many of the appliances are energy efficient. They have a 2.8 kilowatt solar array. They grow a lot of their own food, have backyard chickens. They apply extra insulation to their windows in the winter, seal the bottoms of doors, and they've even blown extra insulation into the attic of their home. One of my favorite things about the flat is how seamlessly it blends into the neighborhood. Aside from a sign out front, it'd be difficult to find this place. This is important because it's not a demonstration home that would exemplify what you can do with endless funding. Instead, this place shows what improvements can be made to a home that's half a century old. Here's Callie talking some about the smaller energy efficiency options that any household could utilize. We have like a more efficient washer machine. We really do try to aim for more energy efficient household I am so like LED light bulbs and our dryer happened to break down. And so we thought about, at first we considered, you know, getting a new dryer, but as of right now, the fans that we've used down in the basement and it actually is more energy efficient than actually than using a dryer. Now that it's summer, we're able to hang our clothes outside. So that's, and it's kind of like that balance of having electrical appliances, but also like seeing what resources you already have so that you don't have to make a financial investment if it's not necessary. Kelly brings up a good point about end-of-life appliances and HVAC components. Most people wait until quote-unquote emergency situations to upgrade to more energy-efficient appliances, i.e. you're not going to consider switching that gas furnace out for an electric heat pump until it suddenly dies in the middle of winter. Under desperate circumstances, most people opt for the lowest cost product replacement and don't slow down to consider more energy efficient alternatives or the benefits of switching to an all electric system. It pays to do your research. Energy Star is a great resource when making long term energy decisions for your home. She also mentioned weatherization as an effective and affordable tool for energy efficiency. Weatherizing a home essentially means going in and conducting energy-efficient upgrades that can lead to improved health and safety and a reduction in utility bills. I've often heard it referred to as a buckshot approach, small measures that add up to make a big difference. For more on weatherization and energy assistance programs, check out the resources in the bio. The flat will be hosting a lot of community events and workshops in the coming year now that most of Missoula has been vaccinated. They're planning to create a weatherization kit workshop for UM students and the community. To keep up with what they have going on, you can find them on Facebook or Instagram at UMFlat. 
one of the first things to determine how to reduce your energy usage is to establish a baseline. In other words, you need to track your energy consumption. As far as tracking energy efficiency goes, Rick has it easy. Since the ADU is all electric, he can track all of his energy use using the electric meter on his house. At the flat, they just started using a Sense Energy Monitor. This energy monitor helps them determine where power is being used and wasted in the house. For both Rick and Callie, tracking energy usage is an important part of the equation. In a few words, what can I do to make a difference as far as energy and my home goes? So I'm a renter. If you're just looking for like, I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna save energy today. Night flushing is huge especially in the summer right now where it's a million degrees. LEDs, night flushing, passive things like shading help a ton. Get that nice sun-dried yeah. t-shirt action. Yeah. yeah. Not just good for tomatoes. And do you remember earlier when we mentioned that the flat had backyard chickens? It would be remiss of us to not learn a little bit more about the sweet hens. Here's Callie one last time. There are six chickens. They're all named after a place in Montana. If the flock were a girl band, Libby would be the lead singer. Other honorable mentions, there's Darby, who's like the, mo- like the Midwestern mom hen. And then there's Winifred and Judith, who are the meanest. They really bully Mar, who's the lowest of the pecking order. And then Bridger, who is our uh, one gray hen. She definitely voted foreign. I like I like to char- characterize the personalities of the chickens by who they would have voted for. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hey, or even if you have a climate story in Missoula and want to be featured on this podcast, shoot me an email at kelly at climatesmartmissoula.org. That's K-E-L-L-I at climatesmartmissoula.org. If you like this podcast, please share it with those you're close with. I'd also like to mention that Climate Smart is a teeny tiny Missoula-based nonprofit where every dollar counts. If you want to support this podcast or Climate Smart's mission, think about donating. You can do so on our website. Much appreciation to Rick Craig and Callie Fox for taking the time to speak to us. And another thank you goes out to Anna Bays for creating the cover art for this series. The music on this episode is courtesy of Free Music Archive and Kelly on the Shruti Box. This is Clear the Air from Climate Smart Missoula, and thank you for listening.